This meeting is being recorded. This is our first group uh, interview and I have Sean, Noel and Mark with me. Um, I will let them all introduce themselves because it's easier for me. So Sean, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm Sean, I'm an alcoholic. No, no, sorry, wrong meeting, that was this afternoon. Uh, so I'm a crime novelist, big whoop there, I think we all know. Um, I write crimes set in London, uh, lots of forensic details, Big bloody murders, really clever crimes, equally clever police. Uh, DC Morton, seven of those, and I'm working on a spin-off. Noelle? Uh, my name is Noelle. Um, I am a blogger at Crime Book Junkie. I review crime and fiction. Um, I also work as a PR and social media manager for Bookature during the day, and I write crime fiction in the evenings. That's me. And Mark? Okay, so my, my name is Mark Richards. Um, I started writing a, a novel when lockdown struck in March 2020. I finally ran out of excuses not to write a novel. The first one was uh, Salt in the Wounds, introducing Michael Brady. Uh, since then, there's been three full-length novels, two novellas, and I am currently working on the fourth one. The novels are set in Whitby on the North Yorkshire coast. Um, which is 20 miles up the road from where I live and is fantastic. So I have to keep going up there for research trips, all of which end in me eating fish and chips. That's it, basically. The novels will not move away from Whitby. I mean, obviously, if your novels are set in London, you can research a sort of Michelin star restaurant, but I have to go to the Fisherman's Wife or the Magpie. Yes, yeah, so if HMLC will let me get away with that on expenses. <laughs> And the reason we're all here is because you decided to write police procedural. So the first question is why? Why did you choose to do that? And go in the same order, I guess, Sean? Uh, I'm a sadist. I'm absolute glutton for punishment. Um, I didn't really set out to write a book at all. So somehow I managed to accidentally write a book. Uh, and instead of writing a simple one, I wrote a ridiculously complicated one. Um, I trained as a barrister, so writing vaguely legal stuff sounded like a good idea until I had to do it and do it consistently and well. Um, and then people started picking up on the mistakes and I had to correct them and go back and, you know, um, iterate. And um, somehow that became a police procedural. Yeah, well. <laughs> Um, well, I'm an ex-senior probation officer, so I was a senior probation officer for 18 years up until 2017. Um, one of the teams I managed was based in a police station, so my series are actually kind of multi-agency set with a police lead, um, and it's because that's what I know, so that's why I do it. I'm Mark. Okay, so why, why did I write a book? Well, mainly because I ran out of excuses not to write a book um, because I'd always had a, a small voice tapping me on the shoulder saying, you want to write a novel. Um, why did I write a police procedural? I didn't really set out to write a police procedural. Um, I, um, I knew nothing at all about the police. Um, and um, I consciously didn't read any similar books before I started because I didn't want to um, subconsciously catch anybody else's style of writing. So my, my books really are more, more about Michael Brady's journey 
um, than than they are, you know, the, the crimes are vehicles to to hang Mike Brady's journey on, as opposed to the other way around. Um, so I'm a um, big believer in that quote that the the best crime fiction is about cases working on cops, not cops working on cases. Um, so so that's that's how I came to do it, really. Um, and if I can just, you know, um, I wanted to answer a question that I always ask myself as well, which was uh, when my daughter was a teenager and going through a very difficult phase. Um, I used to lie awake in bed at night um, thinking, how the hell will I cope if anything happens to my wife? And, and that's where Brady is when the books start. Something has happened to his wife and he's got to cope with a teenage daughter. Uh, and put his life back together. So really, Donna, you know, the books for me were uh, as much about Brady's internal journey and me answering questions for myself as they were about based on any experience, because my only experience of, of the police was was parking fines and speeding fines. Um, and obviously your main character is the most important. Um, and were they something that came to you first? Um, or were they developed as you wrote a story or wrote them around the story? And whoever, I don't mind. Sean? Uh, so for me, I start with the puzzle. And the, the, the police are the way, the sort of restoration of law and order. And it's all about not just the police as, as characters, but the bad guys as characters, because I don't think anyone thinks they're evil, um, not overtly. And everyone wants something, and some of us will resort to evil ways of doing it. And often, you know, I'm sure Noel will be able to say the background of these people is often broken homes. It's often poverty-driven. Um, but there's, there's always a compelling human story behind the crime as well as solving the crime. Uh, so I think I focus a little bit more on, on who the criminal is and why they've done what they've done, because that feeds into the way they commit crimes and then, of course, how you catch them, because the psychology of what they're committing and why will leave different clues depending on what their motivation is. Um, so, so for me, the, the, the police character is more of a, an insert for the reader to, to explore the story of the criminals and the victims and the impact on them. So although it's a police procedural series, uh, I like to look at all three sides, victim um, and perpetrator and then the police. And of course, all the sort of societal damage that that spirals out into. Hello? <laughs> yeah, um, my series didn't actually start out as a typical police procedural. Um, I had an idea for a series and each book would have a kind of different lead character, but um, my publisher thought that I needed to kind of hone it in and have a, a main focus. So, I mean, I did have Maggie, DC Maggie Jameson as a character, but she's now within all the books rather than where she was supposed to come in. Um, so, you know, and, and kind of like Sean, my stories, I don't only talk about... Um, police and solving the crimes you know there's other agency agencies involved and and how much input they have um towards the police in in helping solve the crimes but also looking at the victims um looking at the perpetrators because um there's always a story behind them well not always but a lot of the times there's a story behind them as well so i kind of like to examine everybody in terms of um who features in the book so. Okay, so so where did Brady come from? Well, I think I've answered that one, you know, just essentially answering a question that um, I'd always been asking myself. Um, I, um, I started off, Donna, pretty well convinced that I couldn't write a novel. 
because I couldn't plot one. And um, what I've found through through the books, um, more and more as I write the books, is I've just got to let the um, let the characters talk to me um, and find out where they go. And the characters will very often tell me their own story. Um, I don't know if you've read my third book yet, uh, Donna. Um, I can tell from that blank expression that the answer's no. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, I've got a character in there, Ruby, who's just phenomenally popular. I had no idea about Ruby until I let her open her mouth and start talking, and she just sort of arrived fully formed on, on the page in front of me. So, um, uh, in contrast, perhaps to... to, to Sean and I, I, I probably have less idea about the characters before they, um, before they start talking. Although I do, I do research my villains probably more than I research my heroes. Um, the the villain in the or one of the characters in the second book. Um, have you have you read that one, Donna? <laughs> you know, um, uh, I did a lot of research on him. Um, he he's actually based on a real life character. Um, and for the series which is going to follow Brady. I'm starting to um, I'm starting to do research for that already. Um, so yeah, I, I'm prepared to sort of let my character run and, and see where they take me, um, so long as they don't do anything ridiculous outside the bounds of possibility. Um, that's about it. They want my TBR, okay? <laughs> Your two books. Sorry. They're on my TBR. I will oh, right. Them. Well, you know, I mean, if you go if you go into the Crime Book Club, UK Crime Book Club, people have got TBRs that are like six hundred books long. You know, um, that they're gonna <laughs> that they're gonna they're gonna have to live to about one hundred and fifty even now to finish that that to be read pile. You know. Yep. And then you start blogging, hey Noel, and then that TBR is just yeah, it's just trouble. It's just not funny, yeah, yeah. So I will, okay? <laughs> it's on my list. Not, I've even sent you one, haven't I? Yes, you have. Yeah. I can't remember if it's the second or third one, but it's yeah. upstairs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and you owe me a sign book as well, Sean. I do. Yeah. I do. I've got, um, I've got one coming from Australia, and Stuart James that lives up the road from me in Watford has promised me a sign book. So he doesn't know, but there's a secret competition to see if the one from Australia gets here before the one from Watford. <laughs> from up, just up the road. Yeah. I, I posted a book to a reader in uh, America, some, someone who'd been really helpful on the second book, and I promised her a book, so I posted a paperback to America, nearly fell through the floor at how much it was. Just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, I assumed that the, 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 the pilot was carrying it personally for the amount I had to pay at the post office, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll keep you updated to how the competition between these two goes. Anyway, I'm just I just take the piss out of Stu, bless him. <laughs> um, anyway, have you ever had any um, strange or unexpected reactions to your characters that you never um, even thought of when you were writing them? Whoever wants to go first, I don't mind. If you don't. I'll go. Um, definitely. I have a character um, who I think she joined probably in the second book. She's a journalist um, and I love her to bits. I think she's great. Um, but there are some readers who, and it's 
jokingly, but sort of seriously, um, are trying to get a petition together so I could kill her off. And I'm just not ready to let her go. They just don't, they don't like her. And I think it's because she is the love interest of my main character. Um, and they don't think that uh, Julie is good enough for her. So I'm kind of like, hmm, I'm not ready to let her go yet. So I might kill someone else off instead and really piss them off. Darling, I'm in the middle of a, a really important author Zoom call and thousands of people are listening to me, sweetheart. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to you when it's finished, darling. Okay. <laughs> Just my wife, you know. Why did I know you'd be trouble, Mark? Why interrupting my author career, you know. <laughs> uh, so which of you boys wants to go next? I've forgotten the question, Donna. <laughs> Have you had any uh, strange or unexpected reactions to your characters? Um, yeah, um, several really. Um, I, I just mentioned Ruby in book three, who, who has a go at um, seducing Brady over breakfast one morning, uh, one Saturday morning when he goes around to her house and she, uh, she says, you must be lonely, Mr. Brady, with your wife having died. And... Um, Somebody, somebody sent me a quite a quite a vicious email saying that Ruby was, you know, morally regressive and shouldn't be doing this. And what was she doing at eight o'clock on Saturday morning? And that that didn't happen with decent people and things like that. So there you go. Um, so I've had somebody said, um, you know, Brady retrospectively looks back at his looks back at his dead wife, and that's that's part of the story and things. Like that. Somebody put a review on Amazon which said. Uh, I really enjoyed the descriptions of the walks around Whitby. Why does he keep banging on about his dead wife? <laughs> you know, so, um, <laughs> there you, go, you know. You have to write a companion guide to the walks of Whitby. I, I did think of doing that. I, I am very, very seriously thinking of doing that, of doing a sort of um, Michael Brady's guide to Whitby, um, uh, yeah. just highlighting the places and things like that, you know. Um, the where the murders take place, where he eats fish and chips, that sort of thing. I think I think that would be quite a nice thing to give away in a, a newsletter, something like that. Yeah, Whitby and the sort of surrounding area. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that, that, I think you gave me three stars for um, for the, the fact that the hero banged on about his dead wife. You know. Sure. Uh, so for me, I've got a few characters that have been unexpectedly popular that are minor characters. Uh, so there was Uncle Bertie, who was a retired police profiler who's related to someone in, in my standalone, The Drifter. Um, lots of characters, a big people mentioned him in reviews. Um, and the other thing that I keep seeing over and over again is that people keep rooting for the bad guy rather than the good guy. Um, <laughs> so that, that seems to happen quite a lot. I don't know if that means that they're quite plausible or just likable or um, just more interesting. <laughs> Uh, so one of my, mine had a, a billionaire Ponzi scheme, obviously a bad guy, absolutely doing everything wrong, stealing from thousands of people, and yet people seem to still want a route for him to manage to carry on with his Ponzi scheme, even though by definition the Ponzi scheme will collapse eventually. And it, it's obviously going to happen, and you know it's going to happen from the first page, and you know it's causing misery to so many people, and yet very popular. And then, of course, there's, there's Donna Morfitt, the, the dodgy MP, that helps him out. Surprisingly <laughs> popular there. <laughs> and I had my fun at the same time, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
does the, the does the bad guy, the Ponzi scheme guy, does he have a good sense of humour? No, it's not even funny. I mean, isn't he? I always I always think that's a sort of redeeming quality for a bad guy, you know. Um, He's totally under the thumb of of his um, big spender wife, uh, his very bratty daughter, and uh, is basically trying to make a huge amount of money to keep the whole thing juggernaut flowing uh, and failing miserably. And I think some people are empathising with that whole money in, money out. It's it's, it's almost the same problem that the protagonist, his victim has, is just on a much grander scale. (laughs) What's he called, Donna? Dixie. Dixie. Trixie. Right. She's all wet. <laughs> she likes to come say hello now. Well, um, you know, my, my wife, your dog, you know, it's presumably Sean and Noel have got interruptions lined up for <laughs> the next five or ten minutes, you know. No. Yeah, professional setup this. Luckily, yeah. I've never claimed to be, so it's fine. Um, have you ever been typing and putting your characters in a situation and thinking, ooh, I'm, I should do this or I'm sick in the head? Yes. <laughs> I, quite, I like, really, really like creating unique crimes because I don't want to sort of reinvent the wheel and tell everyone else's stories again in a different way. And part of that is coming up with really unique ways to kill people. Uh, and a friend of mine um, who trains as a psychiatrist and then became a barrister and then worked for the police uh, is absolutely mental. I hope he's not going to see this, but um, he suggested uh, death by doctor. And uh, the, the, the end up being that the victim got knocked out of the brick on the back of the head in an alleyway, ball bearings inserted inside them and then dropped at the edge of the CCTV outside a major London hospital's uh, accident emergency department. And of course, uh, the person who dropped them off, the good Samaritan, said they'd hit their head. And what do you have to do with someone who's at the head? You have to put them in an MRI machine. MRI machine. Oh, bearing. Um, Bravo. Quite a horrible one to put in. But like that. Can you imagine if someone actually did that now? I'd, I'd be forever guilty. So what, what happens to ball bearings? Um, the magnets just pull them out of wherever they are. So if you put them inside your victim, right. and put them in a big MRI machine, they will explode from the inside out in a spectacular fashion. Right. Quite a gruesome way to die. I mean, I'm quite yeah, scared of MRI sure. machine. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Noel? Have you ever done anything really like, ooh? <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Others might. Um, I quite like writing. Um, and, and in fact, my favorite scenes are um, the murders that, that happen. I, I like coming up with different ways. I like doing a bit of research and seeing and testing out whether something might work or not. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. I think it really gets, in fact, my creative juices flowing. The, the worse it is, the better I feel. So I don't know what that says about me, but I don't care. Mark? Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm writing something and I, and I think, oh, Jesus, I've got to research this, you know, and I've got to, and I'm a big believer in doing the research properly. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've hung off the end of Whitby Pier at high tide in a storm with my son hanging onto my belt. Um, I've gone trespassing on a railway line to see what, what it's like. Um, I, I do like doing the research that uh, there is I've got to do a fishing trip off Whitby which I'm not really looking forward to 
Um, I've got to fall in the sea fully clothed at some point, you know. Um, but I do think you can only do that. You've got to do the research properly. Um, and I think you've got a duty, a moral duty to your reader to, to research it properly. Um, so, uh, you know, and I, I sort of um, not quite in my 20s anymore. And I like the idea that I'm still, you know, fit enough to do the research, you know. Um, but um, although I did do myself a bit of a mischief climbing over a fence to trespass on the railway line, but uh, that didn't make it into the book, you know. But yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not so much the characters. I mean, like Noel, you know, I mean, I think if my if my internet search history is ever fully revealed, um, that that you know, I'll just be locked away full stop. But it's it's the it's the physical side of doing the research that I like. Um, um I don't think I've spoke to two of you for a while. So one of my fun new questions I ask if you were to be a fictional murderer, how would you kill your victims? And then uh, as an add-on to that, would you have your own detectives investigating your case or would you choose someone else? 3D printed gun hidden inside a camera lens. Long range camera lens, plenty of space. Looks ubiquitous, <laughs> a bit like a tourist. We'll fire one shot, needs to be point blank range because they don't fire very well. But you know, forensically pretty good. You can get rid of the plastic afterwards. Uh, and definitely don't want my detectives catching me. Can we have someone really incompetent? Who <laughs> are you going to name names? Oh, oh no, that will get me in trouble. <laughs> Chicken, <laughs> no well. Um, I'm not sure how I would kill. I'm not. I'm not sure, and I don't know if I want to reveal that because I might use it in a book, and then it would be a bit of a spoiler. So, possibly tell everyone you can't do it. Yeah, if I think I would police wise, I think, I mean, I love my um, main character, but I think I would prefer someone like uh, D.I. Kim Stone or Rebus or I don't I don't know what was another fictional detective. I think I would like to investigate it. Yeah. Mark? Um, I, I've obviously, with the, the books being set in Whitby, I've always, you know, thinking, I frequently think about how I'd kill somebody. Um, I, I've always gone for the sort of subtle nudge off the cliff because the cliffs there are pretty high. And I think you could go for a walk with somebody and just just bump them over the edge of the cliff. I mean, obviously you're there, but but there's, the you know, you go at six o'clock in the morning as the sun's rising out of the sea. Uh, beautiful, picturesque time to die. Um you could do that and claim it was an accident. I, I think there would be very little proof that you'd actually done it. Um, I had a really interesting conversation with a, a forensic scientist in, in America um, discussing the, the, the best way to wrap a body when you're dropping a body in a lake. Um, she, she said there's a, there's a body a week pops up in America because they just simply haven't used enough weight. You've got to use twice as much weight as the textbooks say, and you've got to use fine mesh wrapping. Um, Your textbooks, how to kill people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine mesh wrapping. So that the small fish can can eat away at the body through through the mesh, yes. but, but the mesh is fine enough to stop the big bits escaping and floating up to the top. Um, I'd really enjoy that, the, the research, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would I would go for the, um, I'm not technical, you, you know, so if I was going to do something with a camera, with a, you know, 
I'd probably get it the wrong way around and shoot myself in the eye. Um, <laughs> but but I could probably just nudge somebody off the edge of a cliff, you know. Um, you can always go low tech. Whitby jet and just whack someone over the back of it. Bed. It's nice and ubiquitous. You can hide it easily. Yeah, yeah for sure. Still. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And would you have Brady investigating your crime? Would I, well, Brady's a bit of a he's a bit of a persistent bugger, is Brady, really. He doesn't like to be beaten at all. And um obviously he's got Frankie to help him as well. And and you know, she's she's got six brains. And um so so the answer to that is probably no. No. Um you know, Brady had Brady would sort of find something, you know, he'd find some damn fisherman that was out there early in the morning or something like that. Or some or the proverbial dog walker, you know. Um, so, so no, I'd probably uh, I'd probably ask for Brady to be transferred elsewhere for the for the duration of the investigation. Uh, which leads me nicely to one of my next questions, which is a lot of police procedurals have sidekicks. So, um, do you have sidekicks with yours? And if you do, why? And if you don't, why? Sure. Uh, sorry. Yes and no. Uh, I tried to incorporate a, a re reasonable cast. Uh, I'd love to have a full sort of 36-person murder investigation team, but it's completely unwieldy. Uh, so I try and sort of condense the, the roles down to three main supporting characters, which do change throughout the series because I have a bit of a bad habit of killing off supporting characters. Um, but I've, I've got one, one character who's a bit boring, not very creative, uh, and he's always on, on the lookout for sort of the opportunity to stab his boss in the back. Uh, which is a nice little thread that goes through the whole series. Uh, and then a slightly more competent, quieter character to, as a counterweight. Um, so they're not quite sidekicks because ultimately it's a team. And I do like the fact that you do have to rely on other people. You can't be a one-man detective. It just doesn't work. And you do need supporting people from forensics, from IT. Um, there's, there's a huge amount that goes into any murder investigation. We've got millions of pounds being spent, thousands of um, potential witnesses. And it's just huge. And trying to keep one person on top of all of it is, is impossible. So I quite like to segregate it, but ultimately have the lead detective be the lead, make the decisions, take the responsibility and decide on direction um, with input. I don't know whether he sees them in his head, whether he'd see them as supporting or whether it's more like I'm the boss, you do it and we'll get there. Probably the latter. He's a bit arrogant. No, well. <laughs> Um, no, I don't. Well, Maggie doesn't really have a sidekick, although she works quite closely with the um, profiler consultant who is um, a civilian in the police team. Um, but because it's a multi-agency kind of um, theme in terms of solving the crime, um, she doesn't really have a sidekick. You know, there's always someone feeding in, whether it's probation, social care, um, drug and alcohol agencies. So I wouldn't say she has anyone in particular she pals around with. And obviously, Mark, you... Yeah, uh, well, I, I mean, as, as you know, Brady's got Frankie Thompson, and um, I, I, I do try and have a cast of characters running through the books, um, not just Frankie, you know, um, Dave, the bacon sandwich man, um, Ash, Brady's, Brady's daughter, um, Ruby will carry on and, and I, readers do like you to carry on with the characters that they get to know and love and the big question is do, do Brady and Frankie get together at some point um, Frankie's got problems of her own at the moment with um, her mother's got dementia and um, so, so that might have to wait a little while um, but yeah yeah Brady's very much got a sidekick and um, 
I, I really like writing the scenes between between the two of them. In, interestingly, I find um, writing the scenes between Brady and Frankie much easier than the retrospective scenes between Brady and his Brady and his wife. You know, to, she seems an easy character to, to for me. That I find his wife quite difficult to get a handle on. Um, but yeah, yeah, he'll always have Frankie, and uh, I, I don't dismiss the possibility that Frankie will spin off to her own series at some point because she's she's strong enough to do that. Um, if you were to take out your main lead detective for a meal, would you get on with them? Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. I think I can can have a meal with anyone without. <laughs> buying heads, I think that we're both quite arrogant, and uh, I can see if we had a difference of opinion, that could be quite fiery and interesting. But yeah, that'd be good. No, um, I'd hope so. There's a little bit of me and Maggie, so I, I'd hope we get on, or else I'm a real asshole. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I mean, going out for a drink with Brady, we'd have a great time. You know, uh, I mean, obviously, we talk about teenage daughters. Um, Brady is a, a Middlesbrough supporter, so I can uh, empathise with his pains over football. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we'd, we'd have a good time. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of lots of me in Mike Brady. You know, when Brady says, uh, "This is how I have my bacon sandwiches," that's exactly how I have mine. You know, so um, yeah, yeah, for sure we'd get on. It'd be, be really good. I look forward to it. Would you ever like to team up your detectives with any other fictional detectives? So many. <laughs> I, I read so many police procedurals. I mean, crime fiction I've been reading since I was, you know, able to read. So um, there's there's so many different uh, detectives or police teams or, you know, even like forensic teams that I would just um, love to team Maggie up with and and me follow along behind for sure any sort of top of the list um I would love for uh, D.I. Kim Stone's one of my favorites um I also uh really really like Case Scarpetta from you know Patricia Cornwall series love Kate Kay Scarpetta um and also uh Bones you know Temperance Brent yes Love I was that. trying to think of her name yesterday and I could not think of it for the life of me. That's it. Big yeah. fan. So I, I would love that. Absolutely. How about you two, Sean? Uh, so there are two ways I'd quite like to do it. I'd love to do a uh, cross-time part, right, sort of pairing. So something like uh, Abir Mukherjee's uh, Banerjee and Wyndham characters and have uh, a body in sort of 1920s India that somehow connects with a modern... Uh, crime in London that would be quite interesting uh, and just hearing you guys think about the, the sort of picking a huge number I'd love to do uh, around the world in 80 body parts a body part gets nice. a body gets dismembered 80 parts 80 jurisdictions 80 different detectives and they've all got to investigate why those body parts were sent where they were and what that all sort of comes together I haven't got a good idea here I was just sort of making it up on the spot but I'd love to have that huge maybe a charity story where everyone contributes one one chapter and then I'll try and one body part exactly yeah. one body part one detective and then one overarching thread to put it all back together this needs to happen that sounds awesome I, I want to read that now <laughs> Mark I, I think that would be a really interesting thing to do especially if you wrote in two different styles 
you know, if you went back and you took your, uh, I mean, if you, um, if you wrote in the style of the, the Sherlock Holmes books for half the book and, and then in your own style for, for the other half of the book, I think that'd be a really, be a great writing challenge. Probably readers wouldn't like it very much, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I might team Brady up with Hannibal Lecter. I think that would be a, a, a good piece of writing where Brady says, look, Hannibal, we're going out for fish and chips. And Hannibal expresses some disappointment at that. Until he learns it's Mr. Markfish who he's going to eat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Um, out of all your, your books, what have been your most, or what has been your most fun scene to write and what's been the most difficult? Without spoilers, if you can. No volunteers. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so you were thinking, Sean? Um, Sorry, you're just first. So... I can't think of one that's not going to give you massive spoilers. Um, I, I think mine generally that the hardest scene for me to write is usually the first one because I tend to work from the ending backwards and try and marry it up. And setting up all the threads you need in the very first opening chapter is always a huge challenge. It's really rewarding when you can put in one little line that sort of hints at something that's going to happen later, but it seems to be completely irrelevant when you read it at the first time. And then if you read the book a second time and you start seeing all the hints that were there the entire way through and sort of trying to give enough red herrings that it's interesting, but enough of a clue that the reader's got a chance to solve the crime before the detective does. Because um, I sort of subscribe to that whole golden age of detectives theory that it's only really fair if there are enough clues in the book that the reader can compete fairly and try and solve the crime rather than having some massive plot twist that's sort of three quarters away that no, that's just that's just cheating isn't it it, it does feel like it yeah <laughs> yeah i hate that yeah yeah sorry um, I interrupted. Was, and what about the most fun uh it's, it's always the, the 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 way someone does something ridiculous it's it's pushing a band down a hill to see what happens to the the car crash dummy you put inside and then translating that real world experience like mark said taking the real world and then put it into fiction, I think is the most enjoyable part because you know it's realistic because you've just tested it. Um, if, if you know you put a car chest on in the back of a van and then you push it down the hill, the thing that does the damage happens to be the toolbox that's in there that goes everywhere, not necessarily the actual mechanism of going down the hill. And then you put that little bit in a book and you've got two or three lines that might represent a week or a month's worth of work and mm. research and just knowing you've got it right and hopefully won't get called on being wrong. <laughs> did you enjoy writing me as a politician <laughs> i think that was realistic yeah i'm starting to wonder about my reputation considering the next book that i feature as a character in i was studying myself <laughs> i know what the hell <laughs> um mark and noel have you what's your most fun scenes and your most difficult um I think my most difficult was probably my debut because it had a lot to do with things that happened to me personally as a probation officer and being in a, an abusive relationship. So although I found it very cathartic, it was also quite difficult to write some of the things. And I know like when I used to have to read the prologue out, um, well, I didn't have to, but when I, when I was reading the prologue out to people or you know at events and stuff, um, it took me a long time not to, you know, before I could read it without kind of 
quivering or getting choked up. I mean, I can read it fine now because it's, it's been a few years, but I think that was probably the most difficult for me. Um, and the most fun, I pretty much every murder and, and serial killer I've come up with, I just, I absolutely, and I know that's really twisted, but they are the most fun to write for me because I love delving into the psyche. I love doing the research behind that. I, I watch hours and hours of different kind of techniques. I look over crime scene photos. I, I enjoy that stuff. I, I don't know why. I think because I was a probation officer, I'm, I can very easily uh, se separate, you know, the my feelings behind the, the reality of the situation, you know, because I dealt with a lot of horrendous things, but I'd have to come home and be just, Noel. So um, I, I find it very easy to do. So those things don't disturb me probably as much as they should. Um, but yeah, I, I just love that aspect of it. And um, I hope I'll be able to carry on writing really disgustingly gross and horrid murder scenes. And Mark? <laughs> um, I don't know that any of them have been terribly difficult. What was the most fun was was probably the last scene of the first book where, where they were on the end of the pier at Whitby um, because it was a scene that I'd rehearsed, uh, researched a lot. Um, it, it, the, the fight scene, um, I, I choreographed in the back garden with my with my youngest son, um, you know, get with my wife taking photos so that we could get the pictures, get the get how people moved and things like that. Then we went and did it for real on the end of the pier um, with a, an audience of sort of astonished and sceptical Yorkshire fishermen watching us. Um, and th that was it, it, it was a lot of fun to do and it was it was a lot of fun to write. But it was also the scene which made me think at the end of the first book that actually I can write a novel and that this novel is OK. And I've got to the end of it when I never thought I could possibly get to the end of it. And here it is finished. So it's so it was, an, it was, a, it was a really good, fun scene to do. But it also has a significance for me uh, away from just the, the pure scene in the book. If that's not too deep. Donna. Um, what what would be your advice to anyone that wanted to start out writing and write police procedurals? Sure, um, <laughs> give it a go and get lots of feedback. Um, ask experts. There are plenty of Facebook groups, forums where you can talk to police officers, lawyers, forensic scientists and all the rest. And people are generally very, very generous with their time and they're willing to talk to you about a particular plot point. Lots of people are willing to read a chapter or even an entire book and tell you what you're doing wrong uh, and there are paid services you know graham bartlett does a review service so you can get the police procedure right um dci gaskin steve gaskin who's retired now he has a, a patreon where he does uh videos every month it's 12 quid a month and does lots of events with forensic science so attending those you can get to know the right people and start to insert some of those really nice details uh that, that sort of make it feel authentic it's not about being completely authentic because no police procedural is. Otherwise, we'd spend 300 pages reading about all the paperwork a detective's doing and the budget meetings and all of the boring stuff that doesn't actually interest anyone. Um, but just getting enough that the verisimilitude feels like it's right, that, that, that there's an underlying belief that, yes, this could 
sort of, if I look the other way, be, be realistic. Uh, and then as long as you've got that, that sort of solid procedural base and that you're not pushing things on the legal front, you're not pushing things on the forensics front, you can start uh, having out their characters, you can have out their plots, ridiculous murder methods. And I think you can sort of mix where you push the boundaries and where you don't. And if you just have fun with it and try it and see what happens. And if it's rubbish, doesn't really matter, have another go. Because nobody, well, not many people, are going to write a really, really good book straight out of the gate. The first book is probably going to be your worst and you should get better with going at time. And ideally, that's the way you want to keep surprising yourself and keep improving and just give yourself a chance to do it and see what happens. Um, Mark? Pretty much what Sean said. Um, get stuck in, do it, um, write, write every day. Um, you need feedback from people who you're not related to. Um, because your family will always tell you that it's the best book ever written. So friends, feedback from friends and family is pretty well useless. Um, that there are plenty of experts out there, um, but it's the story that drives it. And as Sean says, don't get hung up on the procedure because you're writing a novel, not, not a police manual. Um, and um, just, just, just do it. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't believe in writer's block. I've got absolute contempt for people who tell me they've got writer's block, um, which probably that's triggered another 21 star reviews, you know. Um, but, you know, you, you don't get surgeon's block. You don't get butcher's block. You don't get any other. You don't get yeah, footballer's block. Um, yeah. Well, sometimes get footballer's block. Um you know, writing is a job like any other. You get you have days when it goes well, and you have days when it goes badly, and you've just got to you've just got to apply yourself to it. And um, you know, as Hemingway says, writing is rewriting. And if you have a day when it goes badly, you can edit it, but you absolutely cannot edit a blank page. And that's all there is to it. Anything to add, Um For me, I think. Uh, when I first started, I got a lot of advice from people. Um, and some of it was, you know, massively different from the other. So, you know, someone would say, write every day. Someone would say, you don't have to write every day. Um, and I think it's true. I think you, you get all the advice that you can speak to as many people, you know, within the industry network, go to crime festivals and meet readers, find out what they want, meet the publishers, find out what they're looking for, if that's what you're interested in. Um, meet the experts, they attend them as well. And then in terms of advice wise, take what works for you. You know, I took little bits from everybody uh, that I spoke to. Some things like I'm not a plotter, I can't. I tried, I, I plotted out for a first few chapters. And as I started typing within the second chapter, I've already gone off script and I'm doing something else. So that doesn't work for me. So I don't do it, I don't plot. Um, so that, for me, I think is the most important advice. Get get as much as you can, but take what works for you. You know, I write, I do write every day, but I only write for an hour a day. Um, and that works, that works for me. I get 1500 words down and then I have the evenings to do my blogging or my reading or, or whatever. And it doesn't feel like, you know, I'm stuck, you know, in front of a computer staring at it thinking, what, what am I going to write today? So I think that's probably the best advice I could give. Find yeah, what works I, for you and do it. 
I, I think you've, you can, you know, you can read every book on plotting that's ever been written, but at the end of the day, you have to find something that, that works for you, a method that works for you. And, yeah. you know, you will get advice from all sorts of people, but you've also got to remember that a book is not written by a committee. You know, books are written by one person in the end and it's your book and just just write it. Um, I think a lot of people would say that their crime fiction um, has increased massively and particularly police procedurals. So do you think there's still space for new writers to do something different that readers are going to enjoy? <clears throat> of course there is. There's always space. I mean, there, there are tens of millions of books on Kindle now, and yet there are thousands of new books every hour, and some people read them. It's always been an industry where exposure is a huge problem. I mean, it's why authors come on panels like these. It's why writing consistently to a schedule and you know keep going and putting out more content is important. Why advertising is important. Why it's important to talk to bloggers. You know, everything that an author can do to raise their profile is important. But there's space to write a book. There's always space to do something different, to be innovative, to be out there. Um, it's just it may or may not gain traction. And the, the visibility is, is really concentrated in the 0.1% of books that are currently being read. But a book is a, there for a very long time. You've got copyright for the rest of your life plus 70 years. So a book doesn't have to be a hit smash today. It could be next week, next month, next year. It could be in 10 years' time. Um, and realistically, you, you might not sell many books. It might not be a commercial success, but you won't know unless you try. And we need more innovative voices. We can't just have the same stuff churned out over and over again. And we need people to take a risk to write a book that might be out there that might not succeed because it might. And you have to take that gamble because if you don't write it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I, and I think you can say that about every genre, you know, crime fiction, women's fiction, science fiction. They, it's a saturated market out there, but there's always room for someone new um, because as a reader, you don't you don't know what readers are going to see or pick up, you know, go into a bookshop and go, you know, like for me, I love a cover. So if I see a really nice cover, I'll, I'll grab it. And I I tend to gravitate towards the ones that, you know, are colorful or catch my eye or have an interesting cover or have the, you know, typical woman on the jacket because I know this is a police procedural. That's what I know. And so I will go and choose books like that. And I think with crime fiction, there's always room for another detective or, you know, another uh, police team to, to jump on board. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, th I think you can, uh, you can spend a long time, almost like a child in a sweet shop, you know, spinning around saying, I could write that, I could write that, I could write that. Um, whatever genre you go for, the, 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 it's pretty well packed you know I mean you can you can look at kalytics and see which which genres are doing well and things like that but but it, the police procedural crime mystery thriller crime is a is a just a huge huge pond you know that there's always room to throw one more stone in the middle of that pond that there really is um, do you have an endpoint planned for your uh, main detectives? If you ever thought about how you're going to finish your series, whenever my publisher pulls the plug, <laughs> <laughs> Th then I'll be writing another one. Sean, <laughs> sure. uh, so I, I think I'm largely done with my first detective. Um, so I've done seven books in the same series. 
and I, I want to show, show sort of progression over time. And we start with the detective in his mid-50s, and that's already much older than most detectives at the DCI level. And most of them will either retire or go and end up doing purely desk-based work eventually. And unless you, you keep your detective at the same age forever, I think eventually you, you might want to retire them, have them killed, whatever you're going to do. Um, and I think that there's a space to do sort of the Rebus-style consulting uh, post-retirement work. There's an opportunity to keep them on as a side character. But uh, for me, I, I'd like to keep sort of things fresh and provide uh, a new entry point into the series. So I'm spinning off one of the junior detectives for my next series. And hopefully some people will jump in with her and read that series and then go back and read Morton. And hopefully some of my Morton fans will cross over to read that and sort of cross-pollinate. Um, but I don't want to keep things static. I like it to be continually evolving and changing, and that's just the way I'm trying it. Yeah, I, I think there's there's two approaches, isn't there? One is one is that you have a character who acts on events and is unaffected by events. So I, I guess you would say that Jack Reacher at, at the beginning of a book is pretty much Jack Reacher at the end of a book, and for for twenty books, you know. Um, or, or you, or you have, or you have your character affected by real life events, um, so, and and you know, I, I, I think it's unrealistic um, to to go for the former, where your character is just not affected by real life by the events that are happening to them. So yeah, I've got I've got a, a, an idea in mind of how um, of of what might happen to to Brady, not. Not for a, a good long while. I mean, there's three books. I'm writing the fourth. There'll certainly be six, probably seven. Um, but I will develop, like Sean's saying, it will develop the side characters that can maybe take over. Um, you know, Brady's got to, he's got to find out who's responsible for his wife's death. I cannot, <coughs> I cannot spin that out indefinitely because readers will just get get bored waiting for the answer. Um so yeah, yeah, and I, I think as a writer, you probably want to challenge yourself as well and go on to go on to something else, um, and develop new characters, knowing everything that you've learned from your first series. Um, so are you all working on anything at the moment, and what's coming next for you, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm doing that spin-off. Uh, I've got a couple of standalone ideas I'm working on. Um, so really it's more of the same uh, so the next one's going to be called Murdered by the Mob uh, and it's going to be the first in spin-off um, I'm basically going to take a lot of the loose threads I deliberately left throughout the Morton series and tie them all off in one quite long opening novel uh, while setting up what's changed within the police structure and which of the side characters are still there which are not, what their new roles are and how they all feel about that um, while investigating the, the sort of lingering crime because I've got a, a crime syndicate who are introduced early in the series and they are, at least one of them is at large throughout the series, one goes into witness protection. Um, so this one will be exploring a, a sort of vigilante who was in the crime syndicate and is now trying to hunt down those people who are in witness protection in order to get at his old boss trying to find out where he is. So we've got a sort of structure where everyone is trying to find Tiny Bukowski, the big guy, bad guy from the early series. And it's, does the vigilante get there first? Does the police get there first? And how do they get there? Because they're both using completely different methodologies. So you've got a nice contrast between the, the criminal side and the law and order side. And that should be a nice setup for the uh, the new series and 
start that off. And if people enjoy it, I'll carry that on. If not, I've got lots of standalones to do. Goodness. No, well. Um, so my sixth book is a standalone uh, crime thriller, and it comes out in ebook in August and paperback in November. Um, and it's called The Hostel. And I'm working on the sixth book in my series. I've also got a couple of standalone ideas that I'm working on. And I'm currently writing a short story for a crime anthology. Madame Mark. <laughs> um, yeah, so Brady 4 has got to be finished by March the 31st. Um, Brady 5 has got to be finished by June the 30th. And Brady 6 has got to be finished by October the 31st. So that's it. No well, for the wicked. Do you have all your books to hold up or any of them? I know Noel hurts. <laughs> Were you organised? Yeah, always. Or I'm a publicist. Yeah. Bloody hell! I don't know. Oh, here's one. <laughs> I'm cheap. One child between girls and boys is just. That's a great copy of the of the third one when when Netflix come calling. That one might be worth some money. <laughs> <laughs> I was excited to myself. <laughs> uh, so I actually don't have any copies of my books in the house at the moment. Um, do, do you? No, no. I managed to either give away or sell all of them. Um, so I offered to do signed copies for the first time before Christmas uh, and posted how many I had and within six hours I'd sold them all. Yeah, yeah, uh, signed, signed um, copies for Christmas presents. I think it's a really nice idea. I, I warned everyone, my, my handwriting is absolutely dreadful. It looks like someone has defaced every single copy that I've sold. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> signing a book because of the angle you've got to get your hand at because of the thickness of the book is really quite difficult. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so I'm not getting any Royal Mail deliveries still in North London, which has been the case for about 15 months that we get stuff six, eight, 12 weeks behind. So uh, I'm waiting for my next lot of books to be delivered. Um, but until then. Uh, the poor tough life of a writer having to sign their books at an angle. I, so I don't know how you guys do it, honestly. <laughs> I'll get my little violin out for you. <laughs> Um, well, I don't have any more questions for you guys, unless there's anything else you want to mention while we're here. No, thanks for having us. No, been great fun. Um, memo to self, sort out lighting in the office. But I'm just, I'm, I've, I've sat here for an hour looking at what's behind Noel and just thinking how cool that backdrop is. That is really awesome, you know. Um, it's, it's because my wall isn't painted, so I put something up and then right. I thought oh I really like that so you know I'm, I'm really pleased that none of us have gone down the politicians in lockdown routes of having a really impressive looking bookcase behind us that we've just we bought specially for the interview no my bookcases are a mess I would never show them yeah <laughs> my, my, mine too mine too um mine have got more plants on them than books at the moment <laughs> I can put my Kindle behind me if it'd help but okay. <laughs> So before we go, would you just like to tell everyone where they can get your books from and where they can find out more about you if they'd like to start with Sean? Uh, just go to dcimorton.com or Google my name and you'll find all. That's an easy no well. Um, my books are available at all retailers, Kobo, Amazon, Google, Apple, um, and you can ask at some bookshops have them. You can ask your libraries to get them in. Um, yeah. 
and Mark. Um, okay, so the, the, the website is markrichards.co.uk. Um, the books are on Amazon. So if you look at Mark Richards, the first one is Salt in the Wounds. So you find that there. That's the first in the series, which is a good place to start. But, but yeah, basically all over. Um, Kindle Unlimited. So even free, free to read if you're in KU. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for being my guinea pig. <laughs> Been a pleasure. Thanks, Donna. Having finished my beer, so I can now put that to rights. <laughs>